This is Sound Heights Records Podcast, Session 22, and the song lyric of the day is by Aaron Dugan. Locked in a room with my hands by my side, wondering who is outside my little room. Today, nobody's there, just a breeze of cold air. Yesterday was a breeze, but tomorrow's coming fast. I'm moving in curious circles faster than I thought I was. Over my head, a mobile spins around, and around till it stops and I fall into your dreams again. Each night I ask, will I still be the same? In a year, will I come back and visit me again? I'm moving in curious circles faster than I thought I was. Welcome to the Sound Heights Records Podcast. Harmonizing life and music, growing as an artist, improving as a person, gaining insight and inspiration, conversations with world-class musicians. Welcome to Sound Heights Records. This is Yisrael Aryeh. So I had this great conversation with Aaron Dugan, the guitar player who's best known for his work with Matis Yahu, who has done a lot of great solo work and with other groups. And it turns out he's a really thoughtful guy, really kind soul. And we ended up talking about a lot of perspectives on, I guess maybe even a little bit, some of the most, the spiritual side of music. What really came out as a point that I took from this conversation is something that Aaron talks about regarding music as service, that he always kind of has seen it that way. And that kind of answers a number of questions that I've had regarding motivation, regarding finding balance, the idea of being an artist who's devoted to finding one's own voice, expressing that voice, can seem kind of cloistered at times. And sometimes it can get into like an ego space or, or a self-absorbed kind of space where I think a lot of the darker feelings often reside in. And everybody struggles with that. But when you talk about music as a service though then it stops being about self-fulfillment even though that is a sort of element but that stops becoming the main goal and it's there's a there's a higher goal that that's at work i mean aaron mentions this thing he does makes contracts with his, himself which is kind of a cool idea and he says this really powerful thing that he made a contract with himself when he was a younger man that this lifetime is going to be devoted to music. And it explains a lot about his trajectory and his kind of single-minded devotion to 
to really plunging to the heart of whatever music he's involved in. I mean, I've known his music for years through Matisseau's records and recently took a little bit of a dive into his solo recordings. He's had some other groups he's been involved with. He's a really great songwriter, actually. I've been checking out some of the songs on this record by a group called Duke Carraganigan, his uh, duo with singer Amy Carrigan, and he writes a lot of the, mo most of the stuff, um, and it's really affecting music, which is very different than the stuff he does with Mata Yao, very different than a lot of the stuff he does on his solo records, which kind of has a real wild side, as you could tell from some of the music I picked for the intro, is some of the wilder uh, music, but it, uh, I love it. Um, there's some really abstract sounds going on, but it really all comes from the heart, it sounds like. And after speaking to him, I got a real sense of a person who's just devoted to music. He's really thoughtful, really down-to-earth, really humble, and it was just a pleasure getting to know him a little bit in this conversation. Uh, before we get to the interview, I just want to mention that this podcast episode and all of our podcast episodes and releases are supported by our wonderful patrons. You can find all about that and join the ranks at soundheightsrecords.com slash Patreon or slash rewards because there's a number of tracks. We're adding new ones all the time, unreleased tracks and pre-released tracks you can get by becoming a patron. We really appreciate their support and that support enables the work that we do. So please consider being a part of that. So without further delay, here's our conversation with Aaron Dugan. tell me that I would sing that police song, do-do-do, da-da-da, my sleep. <laughs> uh, you know that song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I used to sing in my sleep, apparently. And um, I used to, you know, they used to have, you know, when parents have their kids sing things when they can barely talk? Yeah. I, they used to have me sing Macho Macho Man, <laughs> uh, that disco song. Sure. And, uh, I remember the earliest musical memory I can have is when I was four and um, my dad was playing music in Wildwood in the cover band. Um, this is probably my first memory in life, actually. And uh, he's a bass player playing down there, summer vacation. And I remember hearing um, the Talking Heads song on Remain in Light, the hit. Yeah. I remember hearing that and um and I think my life in the bush of ghosts my dad was playing that. So he's like he must have been on a pretty heavy David Byrne kick. <laughs> um and so and then the other thing I can remember is watching him because we weren't allowed kids weren't allowed in bars, obviously. But the last show of the summer i think they let us in and um 
I remember watching him. He had like a duo with the, uh, his friend, John Harrelson on guitar. And, and they had a, they had a drum machine called, I think they called him Bernie Shapiro. It's like a Roland <laughs> old Roland drum machine. But, um, I think my mom may have called it Ringo. Maybe they called it Ringo. I don't know. But, um, I remember they were playing turn in Japanese and he would make these crazy faces and they were playing psycho killer and they were playing some grateful dead songs. Um, so I remember like, yeah, just being around that scene. Like that was probably my earliest. So, so maybe like they probably talking heads, David Byrne, some grateful dead, and some new wave. The wildwood you're talking about in the Jersey shore. Yep. Yep. Wildwood. Is that where you Apparently grew up? I was, no, I grew up in Philadelphia, Northeast Philly, like around the Roosevelt Mall, Cotman, Castor area. I grew up on a street called Kerper Street and uh, in Loretto. So um, row houses, you know, older sister, uh, you know, lots of kids my age playing they all play together. Uh, lots of running around the neighborhood. <laughs> so you um, you'd go out to Wildwood for the summers. That was just uh, for the couple summers when I was four and five. I think we went out, um, and apparently I was conceived in Summers Point. That's what my parents tell me, <laughs> which I think is also close to Wildwood. Right, so. right. <laughs> you have a real Jersey connection there. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, back then he was playing music um, until I was about five, so I think that's when he stopped playing. So why did why did he stop? You ever talked to him about that? Yeah, I know exactly why he stopped. He got sober. People, places, and things. He wanted to raise a family, and uh, he wanted to do it clean. And um, I think in his head, he was told that he had to cut out the people he was hanging with. Mm places you would find it and the things you do um so he's my dad's pretty strict um and he just kind of like let it go and all the stuff stayed in the attic and then you know eventually i found i opened the attic and found the instruments oh wow <laughs> <laughs> but he picked it up he and my dad actually ended up picking up uh, the bass back up when I moved out and I graduated and I actually started touring, then it kind of gave him the bug again. And I'm sure there were other things involved, but, um, yeah, my dad started playing again. Now he plays all the time. He's, he's in the studio all day. He has his own studio. Oh, wow. Um, that's through his garage in Anza, California. And he's just, you know, they moved here about a year ago and he's been jamming. He's just jamming constantly. <laughs> he knows more about pedals and, and gear than I do. <laughs> do you you ever uh, connect him musically? Have you guys you ever played together? Uh, we do a little bit. We've done some things um, here and there intermittently. He keeps telling me he's going to send me his album to be mastered. Apparently, he thinks I can master it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I I I don't know how well of do mastering it but um he um he just you know he's he's a perfectionist so he keeps working on it and like dotting every i and crossing every t um so hopefully i'll get it soon 
It's been about a year, maybe two. A whole period of time between when he stopped playing. I mean, I guess that kind of echoed in your memory. It's interesting. I, I had a similar experience. My father used to play and sing a lot until I was about that age, maybe a little older, and then put it down for other reasons. Um, so, I, but it kind of, and then the guitar was. I guess it was maybe a similar, similar deal that the guitar was lying around the house. And when I got old enough I, I, to like um, actually be, think I could do something with it and not just smash it, then you know yeah. I started learning it. I mean, for me that was like age. It was actually late. It was like age like twelve or thirteen. When did you start to to get into your dad's equipment and pick up? Um, well, well, I they got a guitar for my. I got a guitar for Christmas when I was around 12. It sat in my closet for the most part. I was a, I was a uh, pretty much like a full-time ice hockey player mm. as a child. Um, and we lived in the city and he would take us, he would take me to, to, um, to practice at Wissahickon skating club, which is like 20, 25 minutes away. So I'm going to school. And then after school, we were driving to practice. Games, practice, games on the weekend, practice, you know, after school. So I was pretty much doing that from the time I was five years old until the time I was 13, I decided to quit. Um, and then around that time, we moved from Northeast Philly. When I was 14, we moved Northeast Philly to Willow Grove, PA, right behind the mall. Mm-hmm. And um, it was the summer going into ninth grade. And I didn't have any friends over there. And I'm not used to not having any friends because there were a lot of kids in my neighborhood growing up. And plus I had the ice hockey thing. So I was surrounded by like social activity all the time. But, you know, so I, I guess I didn't really know what to do with myself. But I, I, I quit hockey. So I kind of had that discipline thing, you know, built into me. I knew how to like. I knew that if you did something and did it over and over again, you'd get better at it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, the whole the whole reason I quit ice hockey is because I didn't want to compete against people. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't like it. I thought you know once we became adolescent as boys, like a lot of kids just started becoming assholes. <laughs> and I was like these kids I knew, and I was still like not an asshole, I guess, or I was just maybe. I kind of inverted way. I was just more like withdrawing. I, I withdrew more. I, I didn't play like the games, like the, you know, like, you know, the games like 13 year old kids play and boys. Like it's, it's kind of like a big, uh, you know, everything becomes a competition yeah. and like, you know, there's no introspection. And like, I just didn't, I didn't like it. You know, it's just something in my, in me that told me I didn't like it. I don't want to be a dick. I don't want to fake being a dick all day to guys and like getting in little fights here and there. Like it just wasn't my thing. I hung out with the women at Thanksgiving. I didn't hang out with the guys watching football. I hung out with the, uh, my mom and like uh, my aunts in the kitchen watching TV, like, cause they talked about real stuff. Um, and so, and so like, I just had a guitar. That's all I had. And I love music. I think I like, I, my cousin lived down the street. Okay. So my cousin was six years older than me. We moved on to the block. I had my grandma, my great aunt and my cousin, three different houses. So we were the fourth house on, 
house on that block. Mm -hmm. And he was really into like, you know, like Van Halen and all that stuff. And I I had already gotten into Metallica and things when I was about 10 for my sister. So I was listening to music, but once, okay. And the other thing is that CDs came into play, right? CDs. And, and so he gave me his whole tape collection because he's replacing it with CDs. Hmm. So I'm surrounded by all this, like, basically mid-80s hair metal. Yeah. And, like, kind of, <laughs> like, more obscure stuff because he was kind of, like, deep into it. So I would have, like, old Dio albums. I'd never heard of Dio, really. Right. Um, just, like, you know, so I was listening to that stuff, and I liked a few of the albums. And I started just playing the guitar and, like, picking up guitar uh player guitar world magazine and i think there was one it, the, the actual big magazine back then was guitar for the practicing musician i think it was called mm-hmm. i might be getting things mixed up here but anyway i used to i used to just play and like i didn't think anything of it i used to but i guess i practiced a lot um so that's that's how i started playing what were the main guitar players you were listening to i mean eddie van halen was at that point you could, or... <laughs> You could say that. You could say like uh, he was like a soft hero. Uh-huh. Um, like I never really, I thought of him as like kind of like Michael Jordan in a way, mm. um, in that he's kind of like a chosen one who could kind of do everything. I didn't even know what planet he was on, <laughs> and I, I didn't think that I could ever do anything like that. You know, like right. I didn't, I don't even know what. I still don't know what he's how. Like even other guys that can play well, there's just something that he had that's not, he's not even a guitarist. He's like an alien, you know, <laughs> his feel, he's just so good. It's ridiculous, you know? And, and, uh, so I don't know. I liked, um, I liked Metallica back then. I was into, but I don't know. I, but then, so so like maybe half a year later, I meet these kids who are a little older than me in school, and, and my friend Vin's like, "You ever heard of this band Dinosaur Junior?" And I'm like, "No." Nah. And then he gives me gives me this tape of MF, and they just blew me away. Like the the thoughtfulness, like the the uh, the melodies. He and he was there were solos on like every song, but they were like they're just different. And he had like an edge, like a, sometimes he'd be screaming, sometimes he'd be singing. I didn't even know what he was singing about. I didn't care. I just thought the band sounded great. Um, they were, they had depth. Like, I don't know. There's just something that you also couldn't put your finger on. So I just started falling in love with Jay Maskus guitar playing. Hmm. At the same time, my friend Max, my friend Greg, uh, they were into jazz. My fr- uh, so, so okay. So Vin asked me to join a band with him. I think uh, with this guy Ken Babcock, who also played jazz. And everyone, you know, like when you're gonna play with people, people start to say, "Oh, these are the guys." Man. Oh, you're gonna play with them? Wow, mm-hmm. you know, like that's the jazz guy. That's the like in high school, or whatever. And I'm in like tenth grade, like early. I think it may have been late night, early 10th grade or something, but, um, so I, I, 
I go in a rehearsal room with him and I, I start playing and I'm like, yeah, you know, this is cool. I had like the worst self-esteem, by the way. Like, <laughs> I think I'm like horrible, you know, because it's like the first people I'm playing with sure. for the most part, like in a band setting. I thought this was like just incredible. I was like, what the heck is going on here? Like, I thought there's just something magical about making music with people because it's beyond, you know, how like when you're playing sports or whatever it's a competition and there's a certain adrenaline rush and it's really cool um you know in that way and you're getting these endorphins and like you know you're it's a good time but like think about what i realized in that moment is when you're making music with people there's just some other kind of magic that's happening you're creating something together and it's and you're vulnerable everyone's kind of vulnerable so you see these different sides of people um and so we're just basically writing, write jamming, writing and jamming at the same time. And um, I'm kind of like, whatever about it, <clears throat> but I really, I'm, you know, I secretly love it. My friend Vin said, you know, you're better than Jay. Hmm. And like, I didn't know who this Jay guy was, but he's like a senior or something who was like supposed to be this great guitarist, apparently. And I was like, what? What do you mean I'm better than Jay? I just started. Pl- I I can't play. <laughs> like that's the way I thought. But then like so these there's been a couple people like that who have had to tell me that I'm that I'm worth something. You know, huh. like at least back in the day, like in the group, like I I whereas I was just kind of like it's not that I thought I sucked or anything. It's just that I didn't think anything of it. And then these other people are like, dude, you're you got to do this. You do like I'm like really okay. I'll go do that. And so he was like the first guy who kind of like gave me the com- this like confidence that I didn't even think existed, you know. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm better than Jay. And I didn't even know <laughs> Jay. I didn't, never heard Jay. Honestly, I didn't care. I didn't want to be better than Jay. I don't I still don't care that I was better than Jay, but just someone telling me that I was it wasn't that I was better than it was right. someone told me that I was that I was worth that I was good. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'll just keep doing this now. And then, I, and then that kind of gave me the permission to think, oh, I'm allowed to like this. I'm allowed to take this seriously. So then I started digging in. I was like, oh, well, if I'm like that now, I'm going to start practicing. Let's see what happens. So then right. this whole engine started where I was like, I'm going to be like, bruh, 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 I'm going to. So I started, you know, uh, my friend, the jazz guys turned me on to like, gave me a love supreme tape coltrane tape and the blue train and then um i started listening to that i didn't totally get love supreme i was like I, but then blue train i was like oh, i kind of get that's pretty cool um you know a felonious monk someone gave me uh i you know i bought the felonious monk and i was like what's this then i bought oscar peterson i was like oh i really get that and then so like of course after a while you think you know i really get the monk some things need to grow on you Mm-hmm. And then the, the Love Supreme, like totally, like I just fell in love with it. But then, um, you know, at the same time, my dad's introduced me to Grateful Dead again. I'm like, eh, and then I get it. Like jazz was interesting. I was like, what's with the symbols at first? I was like, what's going on with the symbols, man? <laughs> and then after a while, I was like, oh man, this is like the best shit ever. Like, and then the Grateful Dead was the same way. Where I was like, what? Dude? What are these guys just? You know, can't really sing. They're kind of like playing, and they're kind of not playing. And then at at some point, I was like, oh, this is like Jerry's like magic. (laughs) Well, well, something about all the the jazz, all the jazz you you mentioned, 
none of it has guitar. <laughs> I mean, so it's, oh, that's a thread. That's a thread in my like horn players are my biggest inspirations. Mm-hmm. Like I, that's when you're asking me who my favorite guitarists were earlier. Like I do like guitarists, but the horn players are my heroes. Mm-hmm. Like I still try to imitate horn players when I play lines. Um, I mean, when when did think, you kind of think start thinking that way? Because that that's I know Jerry uh, Garcia has has said that. I did not. I did not hear that. I just know that for me, like there's something about the way Coltrane put lines together. They're so crazy. Yeah. They're going every direction at once. Um, I was like, I want to do that on guitar. I was mm. like, I don't want to play straight eighth notes. I don't want to swing my eighths. I don't want to play like that. I don't want to like, you know, I want to be, I want to surprise when I mm. play. I want to go from like, you know, maybe like a dotted eighth feel like, you know, like, or, and then just go play like a, uh, glissando down, you know, where that has not in time and then land. Like I, I wanted to like do everything hmm. in one solo, And like that kind of worked to my detriment sometimes as a, <laughs> as if you ever watch our first Letterman uh, appearance, I just, I'm kind of still trying to do the jazz thing in modest Yahoo. But, uh, anyway, so then Ornette Coleman, when I heard him, I was just like, now, okay, this is, this is heaven. Like you didn't know what he's going to do for you. Kind of like, it's so together. Like his compositions are so beautiful. And then, yeah. oh my God. So Hornfly and then Dolphy, like just made, a lot of saxophone players actually mm-hmm. like that. I just love the way they play and how the horn sounds and like how they think. Especially the wild ones. I, I just love the wild ones, like who really know what they're doing. Like, you know, everyone knows what they're doing, but like, you know. And then you heard Zorn, John Zorn. I was like, nah, <laughs> you know, so like, it's just like a uh, conceptually and technically and just, you know, all that stuff. So, did you ever get inspired to pick up a horn, or, or is it always clear that you're going to just apply that inspiration from those instruments to the guitar? I used to work at this drum store called Pro Drum Music Works in Glenside, Pennsylvania. I was maybe I was a I was like a counter guy, mm-hmm. uh, one of the counter guys, and then like they needed a guitar teacher, and I was eighteen. Well, I started taking lessons there first, and then I it was like kind of like my first real guitar lessons, and then I started working there. And then they needed a guitar teacher and self So I was 18. I started teaching there. Uh-huh. And I took lessons there. And then there's this guy named Squirrel who taught hand percussion. And <clears throat> and I I, uh, I was like, man, I want to play like that guy. I want to learn kundas. And then uh, so I started taking lessons from him. And I really liked it. And then Art Weinstein, who was kind of like the guru, the older teacher there, he taught like five days, six days a week. You know, he he played with all the early, you know, Philly jazz guys. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, you can't spread it. You can't spread things around all these different instruments. You have to just put all that energy into one instrument. Uh And I was like, oh, okay. That kind of makes sense. Right. Uh, I'm not so sure it makes sense to me now, but at the, at the time I probably needed to do that. I didn't even know how to read music really. And um, so I kind of like, 
that stayed in the back of my mind. But um, I always wanted to get, I still want to get a tenor sax. I still want to get a saxophone. I just haven't gotten, I don't know if it's, I haven't had the money, but I haven't really had the, and also like the, I live in apartments and things. I don't know how right. I'd get away with practice. the easy <laughs> instrument to practice when you live in an apartment. You don't have to pay for a studio. Right. I mean, I have a couple of key, digital keyboards laying around. I still, you know, I can't really play that. I, I, I play like, I come up with things that I could play some chords. Um, but it's really, I put everything into the guitar and like I, a bass and the bass is just something I kind of can naturally play well, I think. Right. I, I'm probably more of a natural bass player than a guitar player, but I, I, I just put everything into the guitar. But I think I'm a much better bass player than I am a guitar player. Well, that's interesting. Like if that, I would do work on that. That you, you took that advice. I mean, when I, when I was in music school, I mean, from you know, I, I wanted to play every instrument, and I ended up splitting between keyboard and, and drums. And then I, uh -huh. I, and then I just took out every instrument I got I got my hands on I try I tried everything you know and that and it took me I it, so except and when people would would tell me like oh just stick to one instrument I, I wouldn't listen <laughs> I wouldn't listen and I I, I guess because I, whatever it just kind of went along with the flow of it for me later now having a studio and, and making my own tracks that I can jump between different instruments I'm I, I'm thankful I didn't listen to that um I, mean, I don't know if I really would have been able to anyway. I was just, I had, I didn't have much uh, patience, you know. <laughs> I was looking, like, yeah, you're, you're, you're looking you're... for the new thing, you know, like the new sound, you know, something that's surprising in music. I guess for me, sometimes I would get that from different instruments. But, but I could see wh how when you'd really pour yourself into one instrument, that you get a lot more out of the other end in terms of virtuosity, in terms of just mastery of that, of that instrument. Yeah, I mean, what you did is smart. Um, I think I this part of me wishes I would have kind of uh, dipped into a bunch of instruments. Um, on the other hand, well, I came up with this, like, I started listening to reggae maybe when I was around 19. There was a Princeton WPRB. It was, like, the best radio station ever. Mm -hmm. um, and on Sundays, they had a reggae show and I'd be come back from like, uh, whatever I was doing, uh, uh, college. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. So college, no, when I was during the weekdays, they would have the best indie music on. I never even heard much indie rock, like on a deeper level. And I just loved it. Got mm -hmm. me into like a lot of things, but then on Sundays they'd have a reggae show on and I'd love to actually know what that show was called. I don't know if it's still run it, but, and it was like the real, the real stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember hearing this thing hoo, 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 in the music. And I was like, what is that? That's my favorite. What is that? That's like the best part. It wasn't a guitar. It was an organ. And it's a bubble. You know, the bubble in reggae. Yeah. It's like not the chuck, but the bubble that's in between the chuck that like soft kind of like. I, and I was like, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to play that on guitar. Why don't I ever hear the guitar playing that? Huh. You know? And so I started playing when I started, uh, basically when I started with Modest the first time I really played reggae. But um, I was like, dude, all right. Uh, part of the reason I want to play in this band is so I could do that bubble thing on the guitar. <laughs> well, would, you, would, you do, <laughs> like, would you do both? 
mean, because I think like you, yeah. you, when you play reggae, you use like a like a delay on your guitar. I noticed. I noticed. Um, just if, if that's accurate. Um, I do that. Uh, I, I throw a delay on, but um, but that that you know, comp- just, that's not what you're talking about. How the that you have? No, the, I used to wah. The I used to wah pedal, so mm-hmm. I heel down during the bubble and 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 heel up during the chuck. So it's uh-huh. like got. And um, so I, I was like all about that, you know. Uh, uh, so and I've done that in other ways. Like I've I've, I've been like, okay, well, well, I want I want my guitar to sound like uh, the way Yuki does those lines, those those uh, analog lines, those synth lines. I'm gonna just find that sound to do it on guitar, and I'm gonna copy that. Yeah. Or like I'm gonna copy a lot of times I'm copying horns, like like or I was anyway. And I you know that doesn't exclude guitars though. I mean I love Jerry. Jerry's just like there's something about that guy. I don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> he he's he's truly I think it's that he's truly original. Like he comes from bluegrass and the blues and kind of what a lot of those guys of his age came from but there's just something extra he's got mm-hmm. and and it's in the air it's in the magic of the air or something but he's tapped into something that's really deep and it's in his voice too and he's yeah. sensitive and he's vulnerable like a lot i feel like a lot of musicians are great and they're just so hard yeah like like they're just so like it's all about like, like who's listening and how I can get more people to clap, you know, the clappers and like this and like what I can do. Like it's basically uh, ego food, hmm. you know, like what can I do to make this thing like blah, blah. I'm going to go super hard here. I'm going to go, I'm going to play the craziest, nastiest line. Like, and I'm not saying everyone, or I'm just ta- I'm just generalizing uh, type in contrast, every, everyone in contrast to Jerry in some ways. I mean. Well, I feel like Jerry was playing for a higher purpose. Like, and it's not only him, obviously, you know, yeah. you talk about like, there's this guy, Debashish, who's a slide, um, I don't even know how to say his last name, Bacatia, mm-hmm. I believe. He's a slide guitarist. He does Calcuttan slide guitar. And he made his guitar, and you can see he's just on that level of like complete, you know, devotion. And I can hear the devotion in Coltrane. I can hear the devotion in Ornette. I can hear it in the Flaming Lips, Cloud States Metallic album. I can hear it in like it's it's more of a feeling too. Like did uh, something that Jerry did. There was a, he gave it a extra feeling that's like deeper than anything you can't map it maybe ai could map it but i, I don't think humans can map it well, well here's, here's a question because you know as musicians stu- studying you know we study obviously you can study um licks you can you know you can get certain inflection down and i mean obviously you're talking about some kind of ineffable something you can't put your finger on when when some music that really moves us has this quality mm-hmm. or a musician you know we're talking about a musician who really um, hits that place. So I guess my here's a question for you, like, what, um, just just to ponder, how, can can that be learned, or or can it, can someone learn from that? Let's say somebody is 
on the harder side or somebody is have does let's say naturally have seem to have less access that some people have less access than others to that natural flow of grace you know um some people just mm-hmm. pick up an instrument and they just flow with that kind of warmth you know and others maybe not not as much but but is that something that in your experience that can be learned or is it something that's just either you got it or you don't is it like so innate uh first of all like i think you know what i was describing is something that touches me so it could be that everyone has that but it's just that certain people get certain other people Mm. you know that's obviously why there's a lot of all the different musicians and all the different like there's not only michael jordan playing basketball right there's all a bunch of other players playing too (laughs) exactly so when I'm talking about this stuff, I don't necessarily think someone has it or doesn't. I just think like maybe I'm tapped and like, I don't know what it is, but I'm tapped and like they touch me, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, like I don't, uh, Meredith Monk touches me the way she sings. I, I, I can't really put my finger on why too much. Um, if I, if I, some 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 musicians just the way they write like Morton Feldman I've read his in my regard to A Street he's deeply he's an experimental composer minimalist but um there's just some way the way he writes I like you know uh, writes words <laughs> and he's a musician and he's tapped into that for me but I don't think and all of these people that I'm mentioning they're super they practice I mean they practice all the time mm. their instrument. They're not, they don't practice any less than like a, I don't, you know, uh, someone who, uh, technicians that are really huge or like they're, uh, they're not any less dedicated to that. It's just that I think they're doing, there's, they're more well-rounded for me. Like there's more to it than just the music. There's things outside of the music that they're bringing. They're putting you into this air of like, of this uh, different dimension, you know, that, that, that there's warmth and there, there is an oasis and that there is love. They, they bring love to the music. You know, you can't, you can't just, but then there's Django Reinhardt too. I don't know what he was like, but I can, from listening to him, he sounds like a real hard badass. <laughs> uh, and I, and I'm not even talking about the way these, these people are as people. Right. Um, I'm, I'm really just, Cause I don't know. I didn't know any of them. Like Miles Davis, like touches me on a deep level, but it's when I think of Miles Davis, I think of space. Not talking about space between the notes. I'm talking about outer space. Yeah. Like people think of Sun Ra, they think of outer space, but listen to like, listen to Stella by Starlight. Uh, you know, the one that Coltrane gets on yeah. and, and, in the, it's not really, every note that Miles hits, and his he has such a deep pocket when he solos Miles, and his rhythm is just so the way he controls the rhythm because he's not filling it all up with notes. But when he hits a note, it's like bam, and it's just like it takes me like right into outer space. Hmm. You know, I don't care what he's like as a or any of these guys. I mean, not that I don't care, but I I just I don't think about what it is i just and tom waits the way he you know it's just like oh he's gone and on like these these people are just like they're like saints i mean like maybe not as people but as as musical servants as you know there's prophets in in a certain sense you know they are the the modern day poets 
I, I really appreciate that you're talking about this because there obviously you get past the surface level of like I like this music, I don't like this music. This music speaks to me. This does, music doesn't speak to me. And then it's hard. It's hard, obviously, because everyone has different tastes. But you can sometimes find common resonances. Obviously, when you share certain musical tastes, or certainly as you know, when you're playing with people who share a mm -hmm. musical vision. But you know, the idea That's idea of like tapping into something beyond, of like some kind of mystery. I mean, in a simple way, it's like a certain person plays from the heart. You can feel it, you know. But then what you're talking about is is even in some ways a little beyond that, which is like someone opens a door into another dimension for, you know, for the, for listen, people listening to that. And that's kind of what I'm hearing when you're. Yeah. Well, I think they're all there. I think the dimensions are all here and I think everything is here. I think, and I don't need tapping into it is a good description, but, and it's also like, it's all just here. It's there for you to use it when you're playing. And when you find that nice, the group of people that you, that kind of like you could be vulnerable with and who all support each other and all, you know, who you love their playing and things like you all tap into it together and it becomes like a shared experience. And it's something that, you know, our consciousness is the way human consciousness works. We can only perceive certain dimensions and certain realities, but there's, you know, if you think about what a dog can, and the dog's consciousness, they can, they have their realm, like their oval of, of, it has boundaries and we have our boundaries, but I think the, when we play music, it, it, <clears throat> it taps into that universal, you know, or when I hear this, these people, it taps into this universal love, like the same thing you feel when you're like, you know, when you're holding, uh, your loved one, when you go to sleep or something, it's like that extra little, extra little kick of love. That's what I think music has. Hmm. Um, when it touches me and, and, um, even if it's like, even if it's, uh, you know, like interstellar space, uh, that, that album, when it's just Rashid Ali and Coltrane, just kind of like hashing it out, like, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and, and get into it. And it, it, it feels really loving. Like it's, it's just, if you get past what you, in fact, I'm talking to myself back then I had to get past what I thought. I had to kind of listen to it with like a, that dog cock eight ear thing, you know, like, yeah. And once you get past that and then, and you can kind of let it flow over you, like it's just, and, uh, and I think a lot of people have that. And I think we probably all have that. Um, but those are the people who speak to me the most, no matter what instrument, I think Hendrix had it like in spades. Mm. I mean, everyone talks about Hendrix, but I mean, geez, had anyone ever sounded anything like that before him? Like yeah. he redefined, like Charlie Parker redefined what the freaking house of sax was. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Coltrane redefined, and I'm sure Zach, well, I don't know the the whole history of India, but like Zakir Hussein on the tablas, and like, like I'd never heard anything like that before him and McLaughlin going back, McLaughlin going back and forth, and um, Elvin and Coltrane. Elvin and Coltrane's got to be like the thing that, like, that what got me in the jazz yeah. like when i heard like live at birdland afro blue coltrane comes in on a solo like after mccoy builds him like that yeah. and it elvin's going ape shit like what the fuck that's not jazz. that's not jazz it's like punk rock <laughs> that's like that's beyond any that's that's elvin and coltrane that's not jazz that's them reaching a high i've never heard anything so higher than that 
Like that gives me chills just talking about it. I fell off my couch when I first heard that because I was laying down and like I was started cracking up. Hmm. They kept building McCoy solos, building McCoy's and Melvin's just like stirring the pot. And I hadn't really heard this kind of music before. I was like, this is bananas. It was bananas to me. I was like, what is this? You you hadn't heard I didn't know you the studio albums the, that they did together before that before you heard that I've heard I heard studio albums here and there but like this is this live thing yeah. the live at Birdland they're going ballistic yeah like and it's so I didn't know you could put those in the, the Elvis putting the notes and he's in between the notes and he's building <coughs> excuse me and just when culture comes in and Elvis still isn't done building then he starts crashing and it just cre- i'm just like that's that's what i want to do that's all i wanted to do <laughs> after that i just wanted to like go into those zones and you get in trouble like from the you know with the jazz school or whatever people don't want you to do that you know they want you to learn the thing first learn the stuff first right, right. <laughs> and i was like i don't know about the stuff but i know where i want i know i want to play with drummers and I want to do that with a drummer. And so I think all my, a lot of what my life has been is just finding drummers I can do that with. I mean, you know, talking about music that that has touched people, you know, that has meant a lot to people. I mean, you're, you know, just a good segue, I think, to going back to your story. Because you've made, I mean, you've made a lot of music over the years. And I just, me personally, um, that has meant a lot to um, and I, you know, I, I wasn't until, you know, we met recently, I had, I hadn't really made myself so familiar with, with some of the stuff you'd done outside of Montesio, um, which is in, in itself, you know, has had, has had an, an impact. And, um, like I told you when we met, you know, I still, there's still certain solos of yours that like, I could just replay in my head, you know, it's just like, um, that on, on live at Stubbs, the, the, and Warrior. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I just love that. You know, it's just like you're, it just builds and builds and builds. And it's like, and then it reaches this peak where it's like, where do we go from here? <laughs> it's just like the bottom drops. <laughs> um, I always, I always, that always made me crack up, you know, like whatever, because it, it's just, uh, it's an amazing musical moment. But you, you, um, and then, and then hearing, you know, in contrast, but you're talking about this kind of like, you have some really, and I love, you know that kind of abstract what you're talking about you know something i relate to that you're talking about music that like surprises you you know music that has this like wild quality to it so uh, in your solo albums you know um i'm I'm gonna you know i want to go deeper into them but i you know i because they're all all the three three of them that i heard um were all really different from each other but they all had this commonality of of this kind of wild energy um you know sometimes a little it'll more um you know grounded you know sometimes a little more like instantly relatable sometimes a little more abstract but but that idea that um there's something speaking very powerfully from um you know obviously you pursued that and you've been pursuing it so if you don't you don't mind we just go you know jumping back into a story um because you mentioned you went you went to you so it seemed like it, it was the decision to go to music school was a natural decision because you were so deeply into it. You were so deeply into into growing as a musician. Um, was that was that such a simple decision, or, or was it uh, more of a challenging process to decide? 
Um, nobody had ever graduated college for my family, so I was the one who was supposed to go to college and and graduate. <laughs> um, so there was a certain pressure on me. I didn't do well in high school because all I did is play music with people, and I did that. I was kind of like I knew I was. I didn't. I didn't think of that as a failure. I was like, yeah, of course I didn't do well. I can't do, I can't do everything. I chose music, you know, but I did want to graduate because it was really from my mom. She was really important to her that, that my parents, where they came from, you know, financially and everything. And, and just that I would do some, you know, I had, I felt like I had been told from early on that I needed to graduate and I was like, well, dude, I gotta, I gotta be the one. I was, I guess I'm the one that's going to have to do this. So I did well enough to, to pass high school. I didn't, I used to, I always, I've always done these things where I, I made, I made, um, I make little contracts with myself and I don't know where that comes from really, but okay. So there were a couple of things. I'm going to go off the subject a little bit, but I'm going to sure. come back to it. Go for it. It kind of has to do with people. As to do with this music school thing, when I was at one of these Thanksgiving things, all my all my family would be at. I was in high school and I was hanging out in the kitchen, and the conversation kind of was went to like, yeah, having a great time, it's a lot of fun, and my uncle said, you know, these are going to be the best times of your life. It only gets worse after this, like forever. And I don't know. I'm just like, I don't know if I'm cocky or if I get this from my mom, but I was just like, I made it in my, in my head. I made like a contract. I was like, I was like, you will not allow life to get worse after high school. Hmm. That's, that's not going to be. And uh, so I kind of was like, had this opposite kind of like motivation from a lot of people in my life. And, uh, little switch that happened. I was like a switch. I, I, I flipped. Hmm. And so I, a lot of my motivations were to not do that. And one thing I knew is I didn't like high school. I didn't like how it was mapped out. It's not mapped out. Well, so it's not there for your success. No, like if you're a smart person and, and, and I think all of us are for the most part, like we just deny that part of us that thinks we can, but but you, we all know that it's not. It's 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 like an institution that's there to. No one cares that much. Like mm. you have periods, you have eight periods, and they're taking you from thing to thing, and like there's no, no one cares, like really cares. <laughs> you know, they're like, no one, no one's really like cares about you like that much. Um, you might have a teacher here and there who like loves you, blah blah blah. That's great, but um. So, the other contract I made with myself is said, "Well, if I'm going to go into college, I'm never going to let it be like high school." <laughs> <laughs> and so, I um, you know, once I entered college, I went to Temple, and I was like, "Well, it's just like high school. I can't do it." And so I, I applied to the jazz program. I had this like metally kind of looking guitar, white like strat thing that said just strat on the headstock mm-hmm. 
And so I learned like a few things. I'd been taking lessons. So I auditioned and I thought I was pretty good. And I, I, I didn't, um, I didn't pass one of my little guys starting to bark a little bit. He's, he's sensing some, but I, I noticed that I didn't like, um, I hate, I didn't get in basically. Cause I didn't even know what a chord melody was. I was just well, doing walking bass and chords together. And I thought that was what a chord melody was. Uh-huh. And so I didn't get in. I was like, Oh man. And then, so I went to community college for a little while. And then I heard about this guy, Ben Schachter, who taught at Bucks County mm-hmm. community college. And, um, everyone around town was just like this guy, Ben Schachter, blah, 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 blah. And he's like a tenor player, you know, mm-hmm. player. and I was like, well, I gotta go there. I didn't even live in Bucks County. And I was like, I got to go there and I got to find this guy, Ben Schachter. And, um, and so I applied, I don't even think you apply. You just sign up for the music school. And I thought, you know, I didn't, I never played with jazz people before too much. I didn't. And I, and you know, Ben was an incredible teacher an incredible player. And that's really what it was all about. It's like, this is a guy I looked up to. I kind of like everyone looked up to him. He's just like, He's so beyond anything I'd ever seen before. Like in my limited, I had, you know, I had a limited uh, exposure, but, and so like, he thought I was good. <laughs> <laughs> like that meant everything to me. I was like, what? And then right away, there's this guy, Chris Bauman, who's a, this prodigy who was like 17, who had gone graduated early. He was like a genius. He went to heart school for one semester. He came back to Bucks County and that was the first kid I met. And they, him and this guy, Jason Fraticelli, who I still play with bass player, they walked in on me in a practice room. I was playing fish. Mm-hmm. And I guess it like, like Chris was a fish fan. So he's like, yo, let's go like talk to this kid. Mm-hmm. And Chris was like, I heard Chris playing. I was like, what the fuck? They did. The kid was playing like, he would play charts backwards. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I still haven't heard it. Like if you heard this guy play the set, like, and then Jason had a six string Ibanez electric bass. And it was just like, why he was like a natural. And he had hardly ever played jazz before. And I was like, this guy is incredible. So these two guys, and then they thought like I was okay. Mm. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm hanging out with these guys now. <laughs> and, um, and then so I went back to uh, when I really wanted to. So Ben Schachter eventually said, he said, first of all, I didn't even think I, I'd be good enough to go to like to be in Philly proper, you know, to play jazz. I was like, I can't even go to Philly proper. I used to think about like, that's the big leagues. Then New York is the ultra big leagues. I'd never even been to New York before. So I started, I applied to like University of Arts in Philly. I applied to Temple again, uh, applied to the new school in New York. And I applied it to uh, Berkeley and I Rutgers and William Patterson, but like um, the so I'm I'm I'm, I'm like going to these auditions and I go to I I, I audition for the same guy at Temple that I did before and I didn't get in, and this time I had a jazz guitar, mm-hmm. <laughs> Joe Pass, and I auditioned for him. And he's like, you didn't get in last time, he said, <laughs> and I said, no, it was you, and and and. Uh, and I don't even think I was that. You don't even have to be like amazing to get in. He just was surprised. And then so Ben checked. I was like, man, I think I want to like go to University Arts. It was like a big deal, like in Philly. And Ben Schachter said, a cat like you's got to go to New York. Hmm. And I was like, what? What are you saying? Like, I can't go to New York. <laughs> it's like where, where that's where those guys 
play, you know? And like, he's like, no, he's like, you're a forward thinker. You know, well, it's like, what's a forward thinker? And then Chris Baumann was saying the same thing. He's like, you're like a more of a forward thinker. I was like, I'm not a fucking forward thinker. What? what <laughs> I go, I, I, I just like playing weird, like doing what I do, you know? Like I didn't, I didn't know anything really. And then um, I was like, all right, well, I guess, and then new school, I got in. It's, I had, I guess I had all this confidence from that. And I, I did really well in my new school audition. I, I auditioned Reggie Workman's a bass player. I'm like, oh my God. He, he was and at he was the cool. audition? Reggie was at, at the audition. Playing. Yeah. He played bass. <laughs> <laughs> and then EJ Strickland's on drums. And, you know, EJ Strickland's one of the best jazz drummers out there. Like, even then. And I, I didn't know who he was, but I knew the guy. The, the guy is so, you know, he's just incredible. And, and they were all smiling and cool. And then, like, you know, the two administrators were there and they were cool. And I was like, I thought everyone was an asshole in New York. Why are these like the coolest people I've ever like, like business, like cool business. And Reggie was cool. No drama. And they were like, nice. and they were like, cool. And they got a good vibe and I got in. And I was like, what the hell? What, so what do you I, think it, those it, guys meant by forward thinking? Like now looking back, like after, what do you think they, they meant by that? Uh, you know, I, I, cause I don't come from a musical I didn't. I wasn't raised going to band practice. A lot of these guys who, some guys who end up going to jazz school. There's a whole thing of pedigree involved, where you you hang out with, you know, you're in jazz band in high school, and like you you're in the system. And like I came up a different way. I don't know. I always like. I used to want to. I used to have a band in high school where I used to want to play two different songs at once and then line up one note and like let's. Let's play two different tempos at one time. Let's mm. play this part backwards. And I used, I just used to like want to like mess with things. And I mm. think like when I heard Fish for the first time, I heard them messing with things. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, like kind of like that. And I heard, you know, I just, I wanted to take it like to like, not like the technical aspect that those guys were doing, but I wanted to do weird things where you didn't know where the thing was going to end up and like, so I guess that's what they meant. I, I, I'm just trying to guess. I don't even know because I wasn't even just hanging out. You know, I always have these ideas of what I want to do. Yeah. Like, I don't like care what like the people tell you to do. If I hear tradition, well, back in the day, if I heard tradition, I'd get an attitude. <laughs> I'd be like, now I, now I have a lot of admiration and like respect for a tradition. I don't think, th I used to think there was a competition between like non-tradition and, or like, I, I used to think I wanted, I always wanted to do like, the, I wanted to create something that wasn't there before. Well, when you were at new at the new school, I mean, what were they, <laughs> obviously there was a study of some kind of tradition. I mean, I, I went to a, a music school. I went to a jazz school. I was afraid. I'll just tell you the truth. I was afraid. I, I was afraid to go to the new school because I, I yeah. thought it would I thought it would kill my my musical experience was so fragile. Like I, I, I had even you know, I was I relate to what you're saying about feeling insecure. You know, like for me it was like if I got the wrong setting it, it could like throw me off for days, you know. Um and Four years. <laughs> yeah. It I mean it took it took whatever, it it took me a long time to, to kinda get some confidence and, and feel good about just who I am and what I do. But but back then I loved music. I played all the time and I and I, I felt like if I went to like a place 
I kind of got the wind that there was some competitiveness that these are like great players and 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 so I I picked a music school that was completely opposite of competitive it was you know New Paltz which uh you know the some good New players Paltz. some some great people you know some some good teachers but it was like it it was it was the opposite of you know there's just it was kind of a little bit schleppy the program you know and uh yeah and i and i looked at new school as but from what you're saying maybe i made a mistake maybe new school was wasn't all, as all that um maybe they what they were embracing a more creative you know creative approach uh, less, i don't less think traditional so. or yeah or was it was it was i correct in my assessment i would have been, been no, with the competition i came from a different background i didn't know much Back then, I didn't know there was a bard. I didn't know there was a Wesleyan. I'd never heard of Wesleyan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, now every time I play with someone who's coming out of Wesleyan, I'm like, why didn't I go to Wesleyan? Right. Like, you know, like, I didn't know who Anthony Braxton was. Um, um, the thing about the new school was is that it was in New York. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. It was in the village. Reggie Workman was there. <laughs> okay, so that's at first, right? I did like more traditional jazz also. I didn't even know what who John Zorn was really. I didn't know what I was getting into really. I thought I thought new school was edgy for where I came from. But then I met people like you know, Daniel Zamir, who came in like a semester after. He's like, You gotta check out John Zorn. And then like I start you know, he's playing with Zorn and stuff. So I, I go see that stuff and I'm like, what? That's my home. Hmm. You know, that felt like my home. Even though I didn't, I never really wound up in that scene or anything. I've done stuff at Tonic. I, I, I see that, like, scenes, scenes kind of like, they also kind of like intimidated me. Hmm. Or I always thought of scenes as like teams and I never wanted to be part of a team. Right. <clears throat> Necessarily. Now I do. I'm talking mm-hmm. about back then. Right. I had this I still going this anti-competition thing, and I didn't yeah. like I didn't like to be influenced by one person who was older too much. I thought that was dangerous. Like I sensed some like danger in that downtown scene, even though it was amazing. Mm-hmm. I was like, I see similarities and like what they're going for sometimes. Again, I don't anymore. I, 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 I they're all completely. It's an amazing scene. Like mm. it's one of the most amazing things I what Zorn's built down there it's like no one who's done that and now it's going beyond downtown it's like global and stuff it's like this guy's such a force and apparently he's so uh, he's so supportive of, of all the of all the people and he like puts money in everyone else's career and it's like who does that you know mm-hmm. and that, anyway back to the new school <clears throat> the new school had a lot of different kind of teachers and a lot of different kind of students because they came from all over the world. Um, Cause it's New York. Again, it's the city. Everyone came to play, you know? Uh, so you had like Robert Glasper was there when I got there. Um, Mike Marino. Those are like, kind of like the guys who were like, you know, people were like, these are the, these are the, the the great players of our class. And I was like, okay, well, these guys are, okay, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, mm. uh, I, I, would, I, I, I didn't really tread in those waters too much. Maybe I should have a little more, but uh, they were a little bit intimidating because they're so advanced. 
but I was like, okay, you know, so then, um, there were teachers, I mean, like, and Vic Juris was there. Uh, Vic Juris, one of the best guitar players in the world. Um, he was my teacher. He's very encouraging, very positive. Um, he, he's another guy who kept me going. Um, Peter Bernstein, I studied with. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds like Monk on the guitar, pretty much, but not Monk, but his own kind of thing. But um, he's just incredible. Like these guys are like the world. They're the, they're the people. That's why I went there. Because I was like, I want the people who are doing it to teach me. I don't want teachers to teach me. Yeah. I don't care about teaching. I don't want to teach. I don't want to be in academia. I don't want to be a teacher. Yeah. And then so, like, uh, I just, I knew I wanted to, to be around people who are better than me. I, I want. I still want that. I want to be around people who are better than me. I get. I get upset when I'm playing. <laughs> if that's not the case, sometimes. Uh, but who knows? That's it. You know what sets over the case but i um i uh <clears throat> studied with any with this guy george goes own chainsaw so he is this guy this tenor saxophone player from boston who was i used to go see him play like in the Cornelius street cafe or something and he would he would like murder everything he played hmm. like in that like that way like it would be, be like free and he had such a personality like this like for my age at like I was 21 or 22, I was like, he's just kind of like the right guy for me. Cause he was that good, you know? And he was cool. Like I would just take lessons with him all the time, like hang out with him. And, uh, I remember one time he had the whole class, his whole ensemble standing in a circle. He just pointed at you and you're supposed to solo. Hmm. And he pointed at me once and I just started going ape. I broke a string. <laughs> and like it wasn't even a thing, but like he loved it, and I was like, "All right." And then, so the next time we did it, he said, "Doogie, go break your guitar." He said, <laughs> <laughs> so you like, like he would say, "Like he's gonna do this," and he got, oh, "Doogie's gonna go break his guitar now." <laughs> yeah, like uh, so. Uh, so there was there was a, all different elements at the new school, and it, it was nice being around. Like there were a couple of guys from Brazil or Portugal who could play the shit. Out anything anything basically mm-hmm. but like a lot of you know that that certain you could set certain flavors from people's backgrounds everyone had a different background so you get like there's a certain feel like a certain sauce that's built in everyone's like playing that's from you know and and it, it was just so i like going to i like the new school and so i graduated because my mom wanted me to graduate mm. uh but if I, you know, if you had to do anything over again, you, you can't really. But I, I, I probably, I would have liked to like check out, see what Wesleyan's like, you know. Mm-hmm. And also, but new school is great. Like it's just, it. I had to, I had to, at a certain point, I had to, to get out of the notion that like, learning a tradition and creating something new don't have to be competitive entities. Mm. You could do both things. You can practice your butt off on some bebop and then like go like murder your guitar. Right. You can do both of those things and you don't have to have an attitude about like, hey, this is the real thing. Nothing's the real thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's no such thing as the real thing. Like this is real music, that's not real music. Yeah. To who? Right. To who? Like it's up to it's your music. You own the music. It's like this is your life. This is your No one tells you what to do. 
did you set your sights on, uh, you're saying you were not interested in the scene, but you kind of had an idea about music that you wanted to do. I mean, obviously you fell in with Mattis Yahoo early on. And, and I, I mean, it's obviously from where I sit, you're talking about making decisions between different news, different music schools and looking back. Yeah. I mean, obviously it seems very fortuitous that you went to new school and you met Mattis Yahoo. That seems to be a major development in your career. Um, Starting to yeah, kind of. It is most of my career. <laughs> right. I mean, right to this day. Uh, I mean, you you know. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't even a music student. He was just a, he's a liberal arts, uh, theater student who used to come watch us play music. The musicians. He was attracted to the musicians. He loves musicians. He saw. He used to come act, ask to sit in, and just do his like reggae thing over like whatever we were doing. Mm -hmm. So he's like a college guy who like rode a skateboard, hung out, you know, my ex-girlfriend, Amy, who was also my writing partner back then. Uh, she's in theater with him. So that's why I met him. And he's just a nice guy, you know, like a nice tall, the pretty much the tallest guy around. <laughs> nice guy. Uh, and you know, he was, he was kind of like a border collie, you know, you know how they get so, they get so, he just had this like intensity. It, it, it almost didn't matter where he, he didn't care about like how good anything was like, you know, he was or anything. It wasn't like this, like jazz school. There's so much, there's so much of a ladder mentality, right. a hierarchical thing. Uh, you know, and I had to read a book to, to kind of get me off that. It's the, uh, the, the art, the War of Art. Yeah, um, great book. Yeah, it kind of taught me how I like to think more territorial than than hierarchical. That really changed my life. And Kenny Warner's book too. Uh, mm -hmm. I forget what it's called. Uh, Mastery. Mastery. Yeah, yeah those, those, they kind of really helped me out. Like to think of think of things as as really important and not not because I came from sports growing up. Everything and 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 the world we live in. Everything. Like you watch a commercial, everything's the best four by four, like in its class. Right. Who gives a fuck? No one cares who the best is. It's no one really cares. The only reason you think anyone cares is because that's what you're selling us. Yeah. And then the first thing you see on like, dude, I don't watch TV really, but then I, I, I was in a room with a TV and the, the ball countdown and they did uh, for New Year's and they're describing this band and their description of the band is a 10 Grammy winning this award, that award. I was like, you're not discussing their music. You're not describing them. Who cares about the awards? No one cares about the awards. Like, what is this? We live in like a sick competitive, like this, this competition thing doesn't need to exist. Hmm. You know, like it's not that as relevant as pe people I, whatever. I don't want to get off a tangent, but anyway, like. No, man. I I think it's it's, it's, a, it's a, it seems like a theme you've from quitting hockey when <laughs> you were a kid. No, and it, and it's a really important thing. What the sense that I'm getting is this idea of of finding something that that is is really meaningful. That's beyond that's beyond the surface, maybe even. And and there is there is an element of society, and I run into it all the time. You know, where someone will be like. Okay, you know, you play music. What, what kind of music? And is it any good? You know, who's are you? You know, like who's the best? This who's the best? That you know, how best many? Flag. How many? Uh, you know, list. How many hits do you have on your? You know, um, 
how many listeners do you have, et cetera. And, That's and all it, ego food. Right, but it, it, can be, it can be really discouraging. I mean, for me, yeah. one of my main themes and one of the main themes of this podcast is finding motivation beyond all that, um, especially for, let's, yeah. say, let's say, a musician like myself who, you know, a lot of the things that I might have liked to do at different times haven't yet done, you know, go on big tours or, um, you know, do you things. You could book that tomorrow. What's that? You could book that tomorrow. Right. No, I'm saying, obviously, it's not. You don't want to No, no, no. I, I just mean, like, certain experiences that I didn't have when I was younger that it's a lot harder to have yeah. and out of the family. Um, but I, but I, uh, but my, yeah. my, 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 my point is that I, I continue. I, I've always it's always had to bubble to the surface. I needed to find a structure in order to continue to create and continue to create something new, you know, something original, something unique to myself, even though most of the guys I know who were playing when they were younger and then later had families have basically said, well, it's, you know, like you're saying with your dad, kind of, it's the opposite of sobriety. It's the opposite of, I mean, it's, you know, it's the opposite of responsibility. And, and yeah. the idea of being a responsible, mature person, but also really nurturing your creative side in a, in a, a really um, motive, you know, uh, a growing way is something I think it's, it's pretty rare. But, but that's what, you know, this podcast exists to kind of encourage that. Mm. Um, and that's why yeah. talking to someone like you who, um, you know, you've, you know, in, maybe because of the circumstances of your career, uh, it, it sounds that that you've you know you continue to this day to continue to create and and make new music and are very active, but I, I I'm getting the sense it's not just because you've had some success, you've had some public success that you continue to do it. That like from the beginning it sounds like you you had a drive that and you maybe you had a contract one of those contracts with yourself that you yeah you know decided I'm gonna keep uh, doing yeah. this, you know. Yes, and another one that I didn't mention is when I was 18, I said, this life is dedicated to music. Wow. That's beautiful. I don't know how, like, I had to do it. I knew I had to do it, like, in order to be... And listen, I, I've, I, I'd lose... There's a lot of things that you, you're just discussing. You have a family. Like, that's a wonderful thing. Like, like I don't have... You know, like, I, I didn't do a lot of those things. You know, so now now that I'm older, I'm 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 starting to like kind of like let it all happen. You know these things, but I used to think all that stuff was distraction. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, in the back of my mind, I it was music or nothing. You know, like is that was the first priority. Uh, I don't think you have to do that though. The way I did it, I don't. I. I Plenty of people. Wes Montgomery already had a family when he started playing guitar. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like you can, you could be creative. Like I don't know. But what was exactly your question again? I, I think we got. Well, well, let me get back to because your your career taking off with, with Mattis, and you were you were trying to talk. Kind yeah. of, you started talking about this this idea of of um, what people consider. Um, um, this is the way I heard it. You know, people consider success and you know hierarchies and going up a ladder and uh, you know okay, winning awards. 
um, and and you were you were noticing in him that he did he he had a certain validation. You were talking about social validation as right. it means to like Instagram, like blah blah blah. Back in the day, it was MySpace, whatever it is. It's always gonna be something. <laughs> uh, people at your audience, social validation cannot be someone's reason for for playing music. That's ego. It has to be beyond what people think. You, you can't attach yourself. To, to you can't attach yourself who you are as a being as your your value as to the music's more important than someone's value uh yeah i mean i'm talking about i do have my own we all i think i definitely have my own issues where they're maybe i'm not exactly where i wish i was all the time or whatever that creeps in that creeps in here and there but it doesn't dominate i mean uh if 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 you're worried about like social validation or if I have enough like followers or something, then you're not serious enough. <laughs> music, you have to be serious. Like you have to treat music like you treat your dog or you treat your kids. You know, hmm. it's more important than like it's not about you. Hmm. Like I'm a service. I'm providing a service when I pick up the guitar. <laughs> have you always always thought about thought of it that way? I think I have. I think I have. But I think I've always had that. I was a little defiant. I used to. But I also. Bummed out. Like if something went didn't go well or if I wasn't going well for me. Mm. <laughs> but. um, So I had both things going. Like there's a lot of here's the thing here's here's the thing where like I here's the issue I had mm-hmm. if like someone if I'd be afraid to do something sometimes because I was afraid that like I'd get people wouldn't like me mm. I'm afraid I'd be afraid to play my own music you know because I'd be fine playing for someone else's band or whatever but like there's definitely different issues I have based around social acceptance that are like maybe even way deeper than other people. So maybe that's why I have such an issue with competition. Well, maybe that's why I wrestle with it because I'm so, I get like, I used to think the sky is falling if I wasn't popular. Like, Mm. like if something went wrong, like I'm talking about 11th grade. Right. You, you've sort of given the kernel of the answer to, to a really deep question that I've, I guess I've kind of asked you, but but I'm I'm you know asking a lot in general, which is the idea of picking up an instrument as a service, you know, really answer, yeah. answers a question about motivation, even in the face. You know, forget social media. I mean, I'm 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 basically off social media. I mean, I just you know I just yeah. uh, I I let people know about this podcast through emails at this point. You know, people can find it. Yeah. You know. Um, well, it could definitely help you out a lot. Social media would help your podcast. Yeah, out no, a I, lot I, I know, it, I know it would, but, but I, I don't, I don't enjoy it, and and I and it, dr- it brings me down, yeah. you know. And and I'm and I'm and I'm not going. While I I appreciate that I when I get listeners because I do have a mission and I want yeah. people to hear it and I want people to benefit from it, but the 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 kind of the the conventional wisdom about how to get those listeners to like kind of pander and you know what even even without pandering just the, just to post regularly et cetera. Um, for some reason, I have like a, a something that just you know 
And when I ever go onto the social yeah. media sites, I, I get some kind of weird feeling, and it and it doesn't feel right to me. But but then then I get yeah, I get a guest. But then I get a guest like uh, you know Boris Williams from the Cure I had on a a few a couple months ago, um, and oh, then wow. pe- people somehow found it. You know, a few thousand people found the podcast because he has fans. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. Sh- so that it, it works like that. I feel like that you know they they stay up there, and then eventually pe- I feel like that about my music. I put it out. You know, there, it's not on major wide release or anything, but it's out in on the interwebs. You know, people could find it yeah. and, and be hopefully be touched by it at some point. Um, but when when you but that idea that when, when you're saying is is like, um, you know, this idea of being in service that so if a person doesn't let's say isn't getting you know from like for myself like sometimes I've decided like I'm gonna keep making the podcast I'm gonna keep making the <clears throat> the music even though I don't yeah. see a huge crowd of people demanding it because I, because I, I just know it's somehow I, I know it's valuable and somehow I know that, mm-hmm. you know, even I, I mean, obviously I do get feedback. It's not like I get zero feedback and that's, that's, sure. me, that's meaningful, but like, I don't need thousands of people yeah. telling me my music's awesome for me to keep making it, even though I kind of had to use my imagination, you know, to imagine a crowd yeah. in the future that, that will consider it valuable. You know what I mean? Right. Um, well, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it built into the structure of, of the music career. It kind of, they're kind of at odds because like when you do have more followers, you do have more fans, you're guaranteed that you don't have to get a day job. Right. So there's, there's that, like, which is the ultimate, that's the ultimate as an adult, that is been my biggest like how to keep the day job away, you know, like yeah. how I just don't want the day job, you know, yeah. and um, you sacrifice a lot for it, but the, it, um, I don't know. You can, it's, it, uh, to be in service, I, I guess it's just like, you mentioned a couple of things just now, uh, that you know to just to be in service of a of a you know of music is is like a i don't know it's not a big deal it's just like 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 social validation it all matters first of all everything matters like of the pie like social validation matters obviously we're social beings to a point right it's like but once you like once you start making it these ultimatums like when like you were saying someone comes up to you and it's like what kind of music do you listen to? What, what do you talk about? What kind of music do I listen to? Are we in third grade? <laughs> what do you mean? The kind with fucking notes, dude. <laughs> or like, or without notes. Like, That's I don't know. Answer. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. What kind of music but, do you play? But there is... The kind with notes. I like that. <laughs> and I get it. Like, I get it. Like, all, like, on a certain level, I get it. Especially if someone's not a musician. Like, they don't... I don't expect everyone to be, like, freaking a... <clears throat> tapped into like the intricacies of of all music or you know i i ask the same questions of people who do other things besides music and sometimes people answer me and like what are you talking about i'm like oh okay i get it yeah you're kind of doing the thing that other people do i'm kind of doing the thing that other people do but uh it's it's, sometimes it's a way into a conversation and try to get to know someone so i usually like with those kind of things like i try not to be like such an asshole about it but uh but when you get down to it, like there is no like, 
if someone really, okay, so if I meet someone and like someone's asking me about like, why don't you do this more? You could have more followers. Why don't you do like we do events and someone's like, oh, have you ever thought about doing this? Have you ever thought about doing that? You could get more popular. Could you do right. just shut up? <laughs> just shut up. Like, like seriously, like you, it's not everything's about like social. They're, they're in the social, con, they're in the ego world there. Yeah. You know, that's the ego world. Like, like it's not more, 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 more. Everything's not more, more. I want more than you. Like there's no step ladder. Here. There's no ladder. Yeah. Like I'm doing what I love. And I think most people are, but I, maybe why I'm harping on that so much is because I have that within me. I have like, I have to fight that thing within me, like that instinctual, like competitive, maybe I have that. Hmm. And so what I'm doing is I'm trying to, when I'm talking about some time to talk to myself, just as much, I'm trying to keep myself in the game because I have, I think most artists have low self-esteem to a certain extent. Like they think that, like, I think I'm an imposter, you know, like I think, you know, maybe I'm not that good or whatever. Like maybe I'm, I don't know how I'm still making a living at this. Maybe I suck. <laughs> you know, I've heard like, you know, I heard that there's this one prominent musician. I heard through the grapevine that, you know, that hates my playing. And like, it was, it was mentioned to me that this guy doesn't like your playing at all. Hates your playing. And I don't even like, I really like his playing. I don't really know him, mm-hmm. but that like really hurt my feelings for like weeks. Mm. I just kept thinking about it. And I was like, why would it? Cause maybe cause I kind of do too. <laughs> oh, man. Sometimes I, I don't like, maybe I was like, Oh, he knows, you know, I was like, he knows what I know. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, you know, on a certain level, I'm not, I'm just, yeah, being like, no, I'm I, not, I I, th- I think I understand but, like, where you're with, coming from. Yeah. Um, I mean, just I, I, as much as those guys having to tell me like that that I'm good when someone like says I suck or whatever, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know that <laughs> what I you know that part of my playing that I don't like, you don't like either. Right, right. You know, so yeah. but you got to get beyond all that stuff, and it's good to have people tell you suck. It's good. It's good to it's good to be told you suck and stuff because you know you don't overall. Right. I mean, ultimately, or, like you know. You know, Kenny Werner, um, you know, Effortless Mastery, one of his main messages is that your value as a human being is not connected to your abilities as a musician. And and once you kind of disconnect the two, and most people kind of link those two. You know, if I'm not playing yeah. well or I think I'm not playing well, I must be no good. Uh, and that's pretty common. I, I've seen that, and I've ha- I had that myself. But, you know, Kenny Werner helped me get out of that a lot. Um, but I think that, you know, gaining that freedom offers freedom from that association allows the music to be freer because you're not, you know, like you're saying, if it's a service, it's not about you. Who cares if you're, if someone thinks you're playing is awesome or think that they, they think it sucks. I mean, if, if, if you're playing, you know, it's like, it's, it's for a higher purpose ultimately, you know, maybe we don't even understand the purpose, you know, I mean, when I, when I, this whole thing you were saying before, about you know beyond genres and like how you knew, and it sounds like you never really got you know because when I mean when you were talking about listening to like Metallica in, in high school when it, my um, experience with guys who listen to Metallica like that was all they that was all they were about like it was that kind of music yeah. and the idea that it seemed like from early on you kind of rejected that um, 
you know, that pigeonholing. I mean, when I, it, it took me years to kind of get to that. I, mean, I was, I was on an experience, um, some like crazy mushroom experience that, that, it, that when I was 19 years old that I've, I've spoken about, um, where it suddenly clicked. Like I, I was hearing any music anywhere and I suddenly, the realization clicked to me that there's somebody in the world who loves this music. And it didn't matter if it was something that I absolutely had hated before or, you know, <laughs> um, the mo it, it just suddenly, it sounded like the most amazing thing to me because I, I appreciated that there was somebody in the world who loved that music, you know, and, oh. and, and I, and I, look, I, I can look at my own you're music. You're saying it doesn't matter what the music was. It didn't matter what style at all. It didn't matter yeah. if it was the most, oh, the most like good... pop, like, you know, like surface, like there's somebody, there's some girl out there, you know, with bleached hair who loves this music, you know what I mean? Like who, who, who's gotten That's over a great it. Attitude. Yeah, it was. And I, and it didn't last like in its, in its full form, you know, longer than that than that trip but it stayed with me uh and and yeah and and, and i i can look at my own music that way like even if i'm kind of getting down on my and i'm not feeling it and, and i'm um i can kind of take a detached view of my own music and be like well it, it has a it has a meaning it has a purpose it has you know there's someone out there who loves it you know at some point i, I made and it i'm so sure I'm, you've been told too what's that i'm sure they told i'm sure you've been told too i'm sure they've told you I'm sure there's somebody who's told you about a song that, that really touches them. Yeah, yeah, no, that that and that happens, and that and that I think that means a lot. But like, and and it's interesting the balance. Like, whether well, people tell you suck because you need to, you know, we need humility, or someone tells you that their music was really meaningful to them, because we do need that positive reinforcement. But ultimately, both of those things can't define our motivation. You know, sometimes it's you know good for those purposes, but not. Um, you know, we just keep creating because that that's what we do you know that's, that's what you do you like well think think about think about this though check this out right you created something that didn't exist before you created it and then someone told you it touched them how deep is that yeah like that's kind of everything right there you know even if it's one person it's not about the numbers it's about one person really was touched by this like, if you go from zero to one, that's a huge leap. Like, uh, I mean, I'll tell you, there's a couple of songs that I, I wrote that I really don't like. You know, there's a couple I really do like, and then there's a couple I don't. And then, like, I've heard uh, someone tell me, like, this song you wrote really touched me. And I was like, I had to, like, kind of tweak my, I had to kind of tweak, calibrate my attitude hmm. to be like, wow, that's, that's, that's great. That's a perfect. Even though it doesn't that. matter if I like it or like, like that. You were just talking about my my solo and warrior. I don't want to say anything when you're saying it, but <laughs> that solo, I I may have heard it a couple times after, but that's what I, I wanted to get away from that that thing I was doing there and that solo. Where I was going, dip, 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 you yeah, know, and I yeah. just kept doing it. I was doing it that whole tour, and that's the only time I've really like done that, where I just played the same thing. Yeah. And um. And uh. You know. That's my feeling, but but when I heard you say it was really touched by you now, but you were really touched by it, now. I'm starting to think like, well, then it was worth it. 
Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I I love that song. I mean, you know, it first came out on the on the, al- on the album, and then and then that, you know, by na- naturally, I, I love the live version also, um, and that's when you you know, and I don't know, it's, there's something to that solo, which just it's just like you can't get any higher, and then you go higher, and then you don't know your how to get down. That that that's that was always what yeah. makes me, it's like I don't know how to get down from here. So it's just like blah. you know, my dad said what? my you know my dad said he heard that album. And he said, well, that one didn't really go how you planned it. <laughs> well, that solo didn't really go the way you wanted it, did it? <laughs> Well, that's, you know, well, that, my dad's the worst critic, so. Yeah, but, that, but that's, I mean, based on what you were saying, that's a compliment. You don't want things to go the way you planned it. Planning it, you know, you want it to be surprised. by No, by no, 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 that's not what he meant. I know, I know. No, he I'm, meant, I'm, he meant. Yeah, okay. I'm putting a positive spin. But, uh, you know, so. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, it was, well, then, well, then, you know, so you start, I mean, obviously you go back, you know, got because, um, you know, a part of the story that's obviously fascinating, um, I mean, I, you, you know, you had experiences um, that most people don't get to have. I mean, guys in music school, and you know, even ones who are successful jazz players on one level or another. I mean, you got you know to play it like you were saying, playing Letterman, playing Jimmy Kimmel. You, you're touring the world. I don't know if you, um, yeah, you know, did, you know, certain. You know, you had experience. I mean, you, you know, obviously, you're still having experiences. You're still um, touring around. And and what was what were those early years? You know, those early stages like when you. Um, that Matt Tassiel's music, you know, that the music you guys were making was was starting to take off, and you know, I mean, it was. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? For it's you? happening fast. Um, I was still like wanting to do my own thing. I was like, okay, I have this gig playing with this guy. You know, nice guy. Uh, Josh Warner bass player Jonah David drummer yeah I was like these guys are solid you know this is cool this is fun just playing we're just like jamming you know modest is kind of like we we're kind of teaching them the ropes as far as like you know when to come in with your chorus when to do the verses so we were like coaching him a lot back then mm. on how to do it and not main, mainly Josh and Jonah they were kind of like they they even taught me Josh even taught me you know, certain things about rage. I wanted to like spew, like, I want to do my thing Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> over the music. And he's like, yeah, well, maybe don't do that. Your thing all the time. Uh, maybe like there's a tradition here and maybe, you know, it's reggae. Right. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay. He didn't say it like that, but uh, you know, I'm just kind of paraphrasing within yeah. it, you know? So we're just jamming. And then like all of a sudden, like we're supposed to do this Kimmel show. I think we did Steve Harvey first, but and there, I don't remember too much from that. There was, but Kimmel was a big deal. Yeah. Like you know, it's like I'm gonna be on TV. It's like a late night show, um, you know. Um, but I just remember being pumped. I was like, I'm gonna dress the way I dress. I'm gonna play the way I play. Like, like yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm supposed to be here. That was like my whole attitude. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my god! And then like, so right before we go on, I'm practicing and my like B string snaps. <laughs> I didn't have a guitar tech or anything, so so my like just like my like yeah dude like my mm, you know that whole attitude mm-hmm. turned into oh shit I gotta change my B string. <laughs> <laughs> so then like I'm like all like nervous because and then you know you have to, when you restring you have to like kind of tune a few times and stretch out the string. Right. 
And so then it's like, oh, my desire. And then luckily I had it all intact. And we just kind of went on stage. And that's when I was like, yeah, that's, <laughs> I got back into that zone. Yeah. And I kind of lived that way. I kind of lived, you know, when we were going through all that, it kind of shot up like a rocket. And I didn't realize it because I was just like, oh, we have this gig. It's the Woody Awards. You know, like, I was like, okay, we're playing the Woody Awards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what time do I have to be there? You know, like, uh, what time's, you think of what time's lobby call, you're like, you know, we're opening up for OAR in Madison Square Garden. Right. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. We should be doing this. And by that point, I was like, oh, that sounds right. right. We should be playing here. You know, there's no reason we shouldn't be playing here. I always kind of had that. And so, like, even MSG, I used to have, like, you know, being like, being like, okay, this is cool. It doesn't, this is, I, I try to treat everything like a normal show, you know. But looking back on it, but once I heard that roar from the Madison Square Garden crowd, yeah. I think we did bring a lot of the fans. Once I heard that theater shake or the arena shake, then I was like, oh, okay. Or the times when we open up for Dave Matthews Band and you can't even fathom a crowd sounding like that. Right. Like, there's just different, like, things. Like, okay, there's Mercury Lounge, which is great when you have a bunch of people going crazy and sweating. But we're talking about, like, 20,000 people all yeah. screaming. It's, it's and, you, and you feel it does shake. So that mostly gave the you... Structure. That mostly gave you energy it, it didn't you didn't you didn't ever feel overwhelmed by that obviously you I mean you, you were able to step up and, and do your job even under- yeah i think i did as a defense mechanism mainly mainly i i knew i had to be focused and i knew i had to be like confident and i knew i had to another little thing is i always like i I, I sort of had the, the anti-social thing. I was like, this, this doesn't matter to me. It's the music. It was always like the right. music matters. I was like, yeah. I was like, I was like, I don't care if it's twenty thousand people. They can't knock me off my. You know, I always had this like attitude. So you you didn't you didn't um, get tripped up by like hanging out with you know whatever Dave Matthews. I don't know if you hang out with him or, or any of these like bigger you know name people that you're all that backstage scene and all that stuff didn't really. It sounds to me like you were focused on the music and the, and those things kind of. Um, we're, we're just like the background. Well, if it would have been like Bill Frizzell backstage, <laughs> right? I would have been freaked out. And it was once at Bonnaroo, and I went up over to him like a schoolboy, telling him how much I liked his music. It's usually like we were playing bigger stages than like a lot of my like idols, right? At Bonnaroo and stuff. And those, I was, I was like a like a little puppy. Um, as far as I wasn't really. I don't know if I ever, well, okay. So we, yeah, the flaming lips when we somehow did like a co-headline with them at the Nokia theater in Dallas, I think mm-hmm. even they, you know, that, yeah. So backstage I'd like grabbed Wayne coin and I was like talking to him for like 20 minutes. And I was like, definitely overwhelmed playing with the flaming lips. Mm-hmm. That was just like, I think that was like Oh six. Yeah. So I was like right after Yoshimi, maybe, um, you know, a few years after y- Yoshimi. But I was like, they they kind of got me back into rock music, them and Radiohead. I was like, these this is like serious business, you know, yeah. um, just so unique and like just beautiful, beautiful music. And uh, so, yeah, when I met Wayne Coyne, I was kind of like, and I still like, yeah, I guess, you know, 
Jeff Tweedy, I saw him once and I was kind of like really, you know, you know, shy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of, I, I, I'm, I'm more shy. I think, um, I, I hung out. I, 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 I said a few words to Derek trucks once mm. in 07 backstage of farm aid. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really understand how great he was uh-huh. then. But I remember really enjoying that. He's a little younger than me, I think, but like, enjoy, like this guy is deep. This guy is really, and he's thoughtful. And he's like, it was nice talking to a guitar player who had his kind of, he knew so much about Indian music too. Hmm. Um, uh, and, um, so I, I, Oh, Branford Marsalis, I, I kind of ran into him like recently. And I said how much I loved his playing at the Ornette Coleman prospect park tribute. Um, yeah, I do. I guess there's a few people where I can kind of get, Oh, I'll jump in now. Nowadays, I'll jump. I'm still like a little boy, like yeah. a little boy. If I meet somebody, you guys, I'm just in awe of them, you know. Uh, but it's not. It's not maybe because people are famous. It's because of what they've done. How how they how like, they, the music has moved you. Yeah, like if it's someone who's famous, and I'm not like really, you know, I don't know, name any names, but I wouldn't care. Right. I don't think. I have I have met people like on those talk shows where I just, but you know it's not that I don't like them either. It's like I just hang we we can hang out like I'll hang out with anyone. That's probably a great but, a good approach because you know because I mean obviously a personality who would be like oh you know this is so and so and you know I, and you know then then that's not the coolest hang you know as opposed to being like more shy reserved un, unimpressed you know kind of attitude seems to be the best uh <laughs> formula even if you didn't you know um concoct that that's just uh naturally it sounds like the best yeah. way to operate in those worlds oh and the older i get the older i get the more i'm used to seeing these people who are on the top of their little mountains you know right how people treat them yeah yeah and like how they che- and how they do have people who defer to them who like you know, when they say something, everyone laughs, even if they don't think it's funny and stuff. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, they, and that just comes with, I think that's part of like how we were built as social, you know, we're still kind of like pack animals in a way. And that's like, kind of like your leader in that sense, or who you think your leader is maybe on a subconscious level level. But like, I always make sure that I go into those situations if i see that happening like mm-hmm. that i don't want to like either i don't want to be around that or sometimes i if i get a chance to talk to that person who's everything's handed to them like a lob where they could just slam it down and everyone laughs right. i kind of like want to like get into a deeper level with them when i talk to them mm. you know because so people like that can be lonely you know like those real yeah. those famous because no one's really like, no one really, not no one, but like, and that's why those guys, anyone in the world, I think only has a few friends, no matter how famous you are. Right. Like, like, but they, the one thing I've seen is that they do have people around them that like want to be around them, you know, make sure that they're around them. And like, I just, right. if I ever get the chance to talk to them, I just want to make sure that's like, I don't even ask them about themselves too much. You know, I just like, what's up? You like the weather. Like you talk to anyone on the street and right. that's kind of one thing I think I do do consciously is like, all right, all right. I see this is like 
kind of like a uh, this is kind of like an emperor like and his serfs or whatever. I'm gonna like come in like a man like person to person thing here because I don't I don't like those setups. They they're uncomfortable. Yeah, I hear you. You know. We are each other all at once, you know. Matt to see I went through a lot of different band changes over the years. If you it seems like you I mean you stuck from the very beginning. Um Yeah, some most some years I wasn't there, but yeah. Right. I mean if it's been a steady gig to for you for for a number of years, what you know, musically you've contributed so much to any and when you do like like the duo show that I saw you the other week, it was just the two I mean, I know you've been doing that for years. Um Oh yeah. It's evolved. So how how did that shake out that you ended up being, you know, that this a steady musician in in his band when when a lot of these other the other musicians have come come through and gone on to yeah. other things. I don't know. Maybe I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm available. I don't know. Like, uh, I think that definitely be a better question for him. Right. But uh, <laughs> you know, I the way I see it is that you know. Um, we're all on our paths and his path is just one path, like your path and my path. And, uh, he's, I say, yeah, I like, he, he'll ask me to do something. And I'll just say, yeah, let's do it. I'm kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways, like someone wants to do something. I'll be like, you know, their friend of mine, I'll, I'll, I'll be like, okay. So he asked me to do a lot of things. <laughs> like he's like, He's busy. Yeah, he 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 tours a lot huh? for years now. He's, he's yeah, been... he's busy and he tends to ask me to do things with him. <laughs> so, uh, and I don't know why. <laughs> it seems like the exposure that that you um, you got through playing with him. I guess that, I mean, among other things, has opened up doors for you. Other other gigs. I mean. Certainly, the the how much do you think that that that's uh, affected the? I mean, some of the other opportunities you've gotten, or, or let's say, like it seems like uh, one impression I got that your solo records, for example. I mean, I guess that was the music that you've been conceiving of. I guess the music that that wherever you were, but certainly a lot of that was made. You know, while you were between tours with Matsuyama or something, it seems it's like in great contrast. You know, to that that music, which is very you know more much more structured, even if it's improvisational. Yeah. But man, you you yeah. like your first album. Um, you know, I I I really dig it. I I, I uh, and I like it, it's it's not an easy listen though. I tried playing it for my wife. Which one? The improvisations. It was a uh, oh, ten improvisations. That was like a bedroom. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. it's well, I, it's some wild sounds in there, man. And you got some like uh, some crazy like digital guitar sounds. I don't know what's going on there. Um, uh, I, I tried playing it in my car. <laughs> it was it was. Wow. What is it? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, of course, yeah. Well, well, I, you know, it's not like the mood music you'd put on when you want to get you know get romantic or something. But no, but it's not easy listening. No, it's not easy listening, and and that's why I love it. But then the second one, um, theory of everything that 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 yeah. that has a vibe to it. I would I would try I'm gonna I'm gonna try again in the car with my wife to see if it could slip that one in, but she but the, I mean that has different um, elements to it. I mean, did, did you write the, those those lyrics? I know you have a couple of vocals. I mean, Matt Tassiel was on one track. I, I yeah. That. But but you have a fe- a female yeah. vocalist on there. Yeah, Amy Perry and yeah. Are those are those your lyrics? 
Yeah, well, uh, it depends on the song. Like, I'm on the Ocean's one of the first songs I ever wrote, lyrics and all. Um, Picasso's The View, I wrote those. I wrote that whole song. Um, all Enough, yeah, I wrote all that. Yeah, Jaggedy Scarecrows, I wrote. I think I wrote all the lyrics on the album except for Modest. Is, uh... Oh, New Dag. I had this the whole song written, oh, like, you know, melodies and everything. But Amy wrote the lyrics to that one. I'm pretty sure New Dag, yeah. So almost all the lyrics I wrote. I got a, I kind of got it like um, an Eddie Hazel vibe from some of the, you know, just like this, like oh. balls out psychedelic well, thank funk. You. So, so I, I, yeah. I, I just had a question just, just on a, on a note, cause your first album had no titles at all. It was just num, num, numerous. Yeah. Roman numerals. That's how long the songs were. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> what, what will this do to everything? What what is this this return referring to? If you don't mind me, at, you know, parsing titles with you. What what is that referring oh, to? Oh, what does it mean? Yeah, what does it mean to you? I mean, uh, what what um, is the what will this? It's like right. it's a very evocative title. Obviously, the, the the music I just wrote, like I wrote all the parts, and that was its own entity. And I think I was just looking for lyrics, and I I just write a lot, like random things. <laughs> I think I just found this thing. Uh, on the piece of paper was I just wrote what would this do to everything then whatever the rest of the lyrics are I don't even remember them anymore um, and I was like oh those lyrics would totally fit the vibe of this song hmm. <laughs> and so I just like put those words onto the, the music and I was like yeah alright we're done here <laughs> is, that, is that generally how you come up with titles it depends have you heard the Duke Harrigan again album I haven't I haven't listened to that one yet, but that one. That's not, That's my album, my folk uh, uh, project with Amy uh, Carrigan. Same, but that's on Bandcamp. Uh, that's you know that's that's really the song songs that I write. Uh, all enough. It depends. Like a lot of times, I'll come up with the uh, most. I'll always come up with the music first, usually. Um. Except for I'm on the ocean, I was singing in the shower one day. We had just gotten back from like a wedding, like back in like 01 or 02 or something, maybe 2000. From my friend Mark, uh, Emily getting married, Emily, and then it was on like St. George in Maryland. And the first time I'd been hanging out in the ocean for like two or two days. And I was just like, I think I was just singing, I'm on the ocean. <laughs> and then... And then and that's how that came about. So I think that was one where the lyrics were part of like the melody. Yeah. You know, um, most of the songs I just write the, I write the music. Oh, except for this, this other song. Oh, you probably never heard of Jelly Bones. Uh, it starts off, I'm so bored, I'm so bored. Won't you teach me how to snowboard? And because uh, I was bored. And that's how I wrote that song. That was one of the first songs very, very I ever Very, li- very literal lyrics. I like that. That I've... Um, yeah, I'll send you that song though if you want to hear yeah, it. Yeah, like yeah, that, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna dive. I'm gonna dive more, more deeply. <laughs> you know, I've been, you know, sitting with the 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 solo albums that I that I was able to find on online. Oh yeah, yeah. But Aaron, I, I, I wish I could keep talking to you. I, you know, I'm getting uh, <laughs> texts from oh, yeah, from, my, from my family. Any just final thoughts, things you you might want to share. You feel like your music is is headed. 
Well, first of all, like I just came out with an album called Groundless. It's available like Apple Music, you know, Spotify, Bandcamp. Um, there are a lot of titles on this one. Uh, it's kind of like a more you listen to it from beginning to end kind of album. But I started meditating probably 26. Uh, I forget what year it was, but it was in December, maybe in 2016. And that kind of changed my life. I needed to, I need, there's something that was, you know, obviously something was going wrong. There's like faulty, you know, wiring in me that I didn't know how to fix. So I started doing meditating, but also I just wanted to like, I, I, it was just beautiful. I was with this guy, Jack Cornfield, and he just totally changed my life. And the, um, an interview with Jack Cornfield and Duncan Trussell podcast. And I was like, what? You can think like this? What? Mm-hmm. And so I started listening to him for a while. And then I started meditating. And then I started going to therapy, I think, I would say, like, maybe two years ago. I still do it. And this whole this whole thing I've added to my life of meditation and um, therapy and, and just, like, the art, the art of loving yourself, you know, a lot of the titles come from that. Mm. A lot of titles on Groundless come from like those those things, like you know, like how to treat life as not a zero sum game, like someone's success isn't your failure, you know, like all those kind of things. Yeah. Um, there's room for everyone, and um, you know, it's just it's been so important to me, and um, you know, especially I, I lost my brother. My brother died, I think, in April of 2017. That was like a oh, big. Wow. Uh, so that must have been underlying a lot of this stuff, like the therapy thing. But like, you know, you just, I had to learn how to love myself or like, and to learn how to love in general, learn how to be like confident in that and learn how to like, just not judge. And so my life is like completely changed in a lot of ways um, due to this meditation. And, and so I just think where I'm going is definitely see it from a place of love for others too. And the way other pe- people make music, I don't have this attitude anymore that I used to have. The one I keep bringing up this attitude. <laughs> Competitive. I kind of like, or like whatever the attitude might be like, fuck this. Yeah. I'm yeah. doing that. Like this whole like pseudo punk rock, like teenager thing. Uh-huh. Like I'm, I think it's being replaced by just love for like all things and, and like acceptance and, and everyone can, Everyone can be, everyone can have everything. And I, I want, I want, I think that's where things are going for me. So, you know, I think that's about it. That's beautiful, <laughs> man. No, thank you for sharing. I really appreciate, you know, your time and your music, of course. Yeah. Um, I hope we, we run into each other again in the, in the near future. Yeah. So have a, you know, safe travels and, and uh, should continue to, Enjoy your music and, and spread the love. No, thanks a lot, man. That was fun. Take it easy. All right, take care of yourself. Thank you.
So there it is, conversation with Aaron Dugan. Hope you got something out of it. Um, I really got a lot out of speaking to him. The track that we've been playing since the beginning of this session is from Aaron's 2010 solo album called Theory of Everything. It's the opening track called What Will This Do to Everything? I played excerpts from it. Check it out in its entirety at Bandcamp. I'll put the link in the show notes to that and his website, etc. Uh, he released another solo album since then, uh, this year actually, called Groundless. And that's a whole other approach. Each, each one of his records is a real different world. It's, it's really worth going and checking that out. And he's been on tour with Matis Yao, so he has that information on his website as well. I appreciate Aaron taking the time and sharing his story. I think there's a lot to glean from someone as committed to music as he is. I mean, another contract that he mentioned besides the one I emphasized in the opening talk about devoting this lifetime to music was this idea that his life, unlike his relative told him, is going to go downhill after high school, made a commitment that it's not going to go that way. And I found that really meaningful, a sort of instructive example on how to not get stuck in things, to make a commitment to living an extraordinary life, which certainly <laughs> Aaron has been around the world. Um, he's had experiences through his music that most people only fantasize about. But what's interesting is our conversation, we really didn't get into that many of his stories, his adventures. I mean, really mostly talked about music. It, sound, it seems to me that that's kind of where the guy's head is at. He's just involved in the music in the moment, and I really admire that. So I want to once again thank our Patreon supporters. You can join them at soundhitsrecords.com slash Patreon. And remember, with abundant singing and playing of music, we bring about the true and complete redemption. See you next time.